Amen. Thank you guys uh, for worshiping today. Uh, uh, what a blessing. Wasn't that good? Good worship today. Thank you so much. We, uh, uh, we do miss Kent being with us today. For those of y'all who don't know, uh, uh, Kent uh, had a funeral on Friday, and so they had to kind of postpone their family Thanksgiving in Bowling Green with the grandkids and whatnot. And so uh, uh, we, you know, we'd all want him to get to spend time with his family and his grandkids, and so they did that this weekend. And so be praying for him as he travels back uh, later today. Uh, but uh, uh, Chris, great job leading worship. Thank you. And uh, just beautiful worship this morning. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I, I am glad to be back today. It all, it's always good to be here with you in the pulpit. And uh, I, I've been praying for your new pastor. We have no idea who that guy is yet. Uh, we're praying that God will send the right man to the pulpit committee. We're praying that they will have wisdom and discernment, and then that God will impress upon this congregation and that man uh, who your next pastor is. But I pray for that almost every week as I prepare for you. Uh, and I think that that guy's going to be a very privileged guy. Uh, you are easy to preach to. You've laid aside kind of a lot of the trappings that come uh, with with. Uh, traditional church, you know, uh, you can come as you are, you can dress up if you want to, you can be laid back. Somebody asked me today, how come you're wearing a suit and tie? Uh, and I thought, well, I'm not, <laughs> but I am wearing a coat. I think they were upset because I heard somebody else say that, man, I'd guessed what color of sweater vest you were going to wear today. Y'all know why I've got my coat on? Because the sweater vests don't fit today. That's why. <laughs> so you have to do what you got to do. Uh, but anyhow, I am glad uh, to be back with you. You know, it, it's a unique time to stand in the pulpit. It is a weird world in which we live. It seems like everywhere we turn, there's trouble. Uh, you know, what, what do we do with people at the border? I mean, I mean, honest, what's the Christian thing to do? What is the right thing as a state to do? What is the safe thing for our job, safe thing for America, best thing for the world? It's complicated. It really is. Let's just call it what it is. It's a complicated world. Uh, can we trust the people we elect to do what they say they're going to do? You know, I mean, history would say, well, I don't know. You know, can, how, how are we going to deal with ISIS and the threat of terrorism. And boy, this was brought home the last couple of weeks, wasn't it? I mean, awful. I mean, what we witnessed in Paris, you know, our memories had kind of pushed this out for a while and then it jumps back uh, in. And, and Syria, what a mess there. You know, my parents were talking, is this the start of World War III? Well, this is where all of the other problems happen, but I don't know. I, I tell people I'm not in the, on the planning committee, I'm on the receiving committee. And so when the Lord comes and it's his time, I'm going to welcome him here, but I don't know everything that leads up to that, and I honestly don't worry about it. I have a God who's in control, and he loves me, and so I just don't worry about that stuff. But Syria is a real mess. You think about it. You've got atheistic Russians with an interest. You've got uh, Iranian version of Muslims with an interest. Uh, you have... Uh, the Jewish people right there, and then you have ISIS. I mean, what a mess. I mean, we pray for the peace in the Middle East, and how many of you have ever doubted that that might ever really be able to take place? I mean, I have to admit it. I pray for it, and you shouldn't pray with doubting, but sometimes I doubt that peace will ever come uh, to that situation because there's so much diversity. And anytime you get a lot of diversity, you can have some struggles, right? I mean, let's just... Let's call it what it is. Uh, there was a teacher in New York City who was in one of the most racially diverse communities in the entire city. 
and she knew there was tension, and she was wanting to try to foster peace in her classroom. So she decided that she would have all of her little second graders bring in an item, a religious item, with them and explain how they use it in their worship. Well, a little Muslim boy brings in a prayer rug, and he says whenever the call to pray goes out five times a day, we take this rug out, and we will kneel down, and we'll pray. A little Jewish boy, he brought in a yarmulke, and he said, we wear this wherever we are to show that we are reverent before God, and we recognize he is an authority over our head wherever we are. A little Catholic girl brought in a rosary, and she said, we use these beads to help us concentrate when we pray. A little Baptist boy stood up, and he brought in a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> and he said, we, we use these to help us get through Sunday school. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, uh, Baptists are known for eating, and man, praise the Lord. But we're, we're known for some other good things as well. Uh, we're known for our belief in the Bible. So each week, you will see me point to the Bible in the Scripture because we believe that in the Bible we find our rule in God and practice of faith. Uh, so that's one of the things we're known for. We're known for worldwide missions. Baptists believe that we are to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why over the next month, I'm going to push you this month to give sacrificially to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We have almost 4,000 international missionaries that we are supporting who don't have to come and beg for bread because we support them through our tithes and offerings each week through the cooperative program, but also once a year through a special offering for, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Lottie Moon was a missionary to China. Um, we named an offering in honor of her. I'm going to ask you to pray about something. I want you to start praying now what you should give. My family and I started doing this a few years ago, and we decided that we would give as much to Jesus and for his name to be made great through the nations at Christmas time as we would spend on all of the rest of Christmas together. How much would that change this church's contribution if you thought about, I want to give a gift to the Lord to make his name great. Not one penny of that goes to administration. It all goes to supporting our missionaries. I encourage you to do that this year. We're also known for our autonomy. When you get a pastor, it's, he's not going to be forced on you by two or three people. He will be elected by this church and selected. Baptists believe that the greatest voice in the church is the collective vote of the membership. And so you'll vote on that pastor to come. But all of these things make us Baptists, but those are not the things that make us Christian. What makes us Christian is our faith in the cross. The identifier of the cross is the centerpiece of who we are as followers of Christ. And the cross is important to us because we do not believe there's forgiveness of sin outside the cross. If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross to die on our behalf, we would still be trapped in our sins. He brought the possibility of forgiveness to us. In him we find Forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to get rid of our sin that's in our heart. Only the cross can bring forgiveness. And when Jesus hung on the cross, it was his life for our sins. His blood was shed so that we could be righteous. There's no heaven without the cross. Uh, we preach the cross because there's no other way by which men can have the assurance of heaven. So many people think that heaven is based on their merit. If you live a good life, if anybody's going to make it, she's going to make it. You know, how he treated people fair, he's a good guy. Well, let me ask you, how good's good enough? I mean, honestly, how good do you have to be to get into heaven? 90% good? 
65% good? I mean, I think that still gets a D. I mean, does that get you in there? Or is it just 51% good? You have to be better than most people. How good do you have to be? Jesus said, these are Jesus' words, unless your righteousness, that's how good you are, unless how good you are surpasses that of the Pharisees who were trying to be the best people of their day, unless you're better than those guys, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. At the end of the same sermon in Matthew chapter 5, he says, therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And let's face it, none of us are there. I'm not there. Uh, I, I sin, and my sin is ever before me. And if it were up to my goodness to get me to heaven, my goodness, I'd never make it. Right? None of us would. Uh, I'm going to heaven because of the cross. Only the cross can make me clean. When Jesus shed his perfect blood on the cross, he took away my sin. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in because on the cross, my burden, my sin burden, my guilt, my weight, my shame, he was gladly bearing. He bled and died to take away my sin. That I, sounds like I heard that a minute ago. That's, that is what we believe, that our righteousness is from God. I'm not going to heaven because I preach. I'm not going to heaven because I love my kids. I'm not going to heaven because I've been faithful to my wife for 25 years of marriage. I'm not going to heaven because of anything I can do. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ has done. And the cross is also what provides meaning in this life. The cross connects us with God. When we believe in the cross, it's like a light comes on and life makes sense and God becomes real and we have this new purpose for living. So the cross is extremely important and so that's why we take communion together every now and then. You know, well, we do weekly, we provide opportunity for you to be grateful, but every now and then we need to take time together to remind everyone who's here it is the cross and the cross alone through which we found salvation. Listen to what the scripture says. Uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it. Jesus said this is the new covenant. He says my death is the way that people are now, this new way, made right with God. We're not only remembering that Jesus suffered and died, we're also reminding ourselves of what he accomplished on the cross. And that's why when we take it, we eat this bread and we drink this cup and we proclaim, Jesus is the only way I'm going to heaven. Jesus is the only way I'm saved. If it weren't for Christ's cross, I would never make it. Now, I don't know how many of you noticed at the top of your notes today my sermon title. Uh, I, I called it Cross-Eyed. Now, I, I know that's a serious condition for some and I would never want to make light of it. Uh, but for most of us, when we think of Cross-Eyed, we think back to a time when we were kids and messing around. You remember when you were kids and messing around and you'd try to cross your eyes and your mom would say, you better stop or your eyes will stick like that, stay that way. You know, if you keep doing that, and of course they didn't, and by the way, uh, they can't. It might hurt, uh, but they won't stay that way. Uh, but your kids, uh, kids who are here, you still need to listen to your parents uh, and stop. Uh, but today I want to think about something else when you think of the phrase cross-eyed. I want you to get to the place where your eyes get stuck on the cross. 
where you fall so in love with what Jesus did for you when he died that it keeps drawing you back. See, a cross-eyed Christian is a person whose faith centers around the cross of Jesus. And I pray Burlington would be filled with a bunch of cross-eyed Christians. If you are one, the cross is what you live for. It's what you trust in. The cross is your source of strength, and it's a place of great hope, and it's something you love. And if somebody asks a person from Burlington, why are you going to heaven? I hope every person in this church can say, I'm going because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. If someone were to ask you, how do you know that God loves you? (laughs) Is there any more proof needed than he bled and died for us? If if someone were to ask you, why do you go to church? Well, I like that preacher down there or that music you ought to hear. No, that's garbage. Listen, this is nothing but but hay, wood, and stubble. This is all going to be burned up and done away with. But the cross and his love, his mercy endures forever. I don't want to do anything unbiblical, so I ask myself, are there any scriptures that would support this type of thinking where you should focus a lot on the cross? Well, let me give you a few. Galatians 6.14, may I never boast. That is, never is a strong word, right? May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says we should keep our eyes on Jesus, who, the, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. We keep our eyes on the one who endured the cross for us. Now, I want to focus on this last passage for just a few minutes. If, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 12. And we'll spend the rest of the day here. As I mulled over this passage, I thought about what would happen if we did this? What would happen if we kept our eyes on Jesus, who, who endured the cross for us? And I, as I read this passage, I realized the first thing that would happen is we'd start to lay aside some sinful habits. I don't know about y'all, but I'm, I'm tired of some of the old sinful habits that have been a part of my life for years and years and years and years. Don't you want to be set free? Don't you want those things that seem like anchors to your soul, those things that if you're a gossip that, and you catch yourself after you do it and you don't want it, don't you want that to go away? Or if you struggle with lust, don't you want that stuff to go away? Or if you struggle... What I've found is if we will focus on the cross, it's amazing how we can change. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. How do you do this? You keep your eyes focused on the cross. So many of you struggle with sinful habits day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you've never been able to overcome. You've read self-help books. You've gone to seminars. You've prayed hard. And certain things some of you have battled with for years, drugs, relationships, anger, But if you become cross-eyed, that is, you set your affections on the cross, it's amazing how it'll change the way you live. (laughs) Think about a teenage boy who's in love, okay? You you know that teenage boy who's like, he's been 12 and playing with G.I. Joes? You know, he still goes to school and he's, you know, he's taking Nerf uh, little darts to shoot, you know, I mean, think about that kid. All of a sudden, when he turns about 12, something happens. A little girl catches his eye. 
And this boy who wouldn't put on deodorant for the last five years is taking three showers a day and putting on smell good. How come? Because he saw something else that caught his affection. That's, that's what I'm asking believers to think about today. Would you, would you look to the cross and find your affection in what Jesus has done for you? You don't outgrow this stuff. Oh, well, that's just too simple. You don't outgrow this. Never in human history has an act of love been so grand than the one who was completely sinless and who was not helpless humble himself, become obedient to the point of death, and die on the cross for your sin. He did this for you. And if we would allow that beauty to grab our heart, then we would see our lives changed. Lust doesn't seem nearly as attractive when you're looking at the cross. Stealing from a brother seems wrong when you're holding the communion cup. Thinking of how he took your punishment makes it easier to forgive someone you want to punish. If you become cross-eyed, you'll lay aside those sinful habits that ensnare you, but you'll also be motivated for serving God. Again, verse 1, he says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, we all have a race uh, that God has laid out for us, a job. Every person here's job is to get saved and serve God until you die. Now, how you serve God might be different, but every person's job is to serve the Lord until they die. And, and, and he uses the term race here to describe this. I don't think it's a secret, but I'm not a runner. You know, for those of y'all who did run Turkey Run this week, God love you. You know, I'm glad, praise the Lord. I regret sometimes that I'm not, but I'm not a runner. I've tried a few times. I've told y'all I'm a dieter, but I'm not a runner. I, I, I've been on like 400 diets. I keep like seven sizes of coats in my closet. And the diet's got to happen or I'm going to have to have an eight size. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, but, but I've all my life wrestled with this stuff. And one time when I was about, I guess, 25 years old, I was pastoring a church and down, we were a small church of just a few people, and there was a large church down the road that had a youth minister who was about my age. And we had become friends, and we had decided that, man, we're both getting fat, and we're too young to get fat, and so we're going to get up in the morning, and we're going to start running together. And so we did. We decided we'd get up and run. We were going to meet at my church and run down to his church, which was about a mile away, and run back. First morning, we meet at 6 o'clock. We're 25 years old. I'm relatively in still good health at this time. We take off running. We run all the way down there. And neither one of us are going to admit that we are dying inside. And we run all the way back. It was a great day. Two miles. We were excited. Meet you in the morning. Fist bump, meet you in the morning. We show up the next morning. And we run down there. And both of us kind of looked at each other and said, maybe we're starting too fast. Maybe we ought to walk back. And so we walked back. This is a true story. Lord is my witness. Third morning, we meet because we're fist bumping each other. And we thought, you know, I'm pretty sore. Why don't we just walk both ways today, give our body a rest, and start kind of recuperating a little bit. So we walk both ways. Next morning, Lord's my witness, we met together in the parking lot and said, you want to go eat breakfast? <laughs> True. Morgan Owens, his name. You know Morgan? Ask him about it. True story. I'm not a runner. I'm, I, I'm not. I, I get that. Because running can be wearying. And even doing good things for the Lord can wear you out. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 6, verse 9, 
Let's not get tired of doing what is good because we can do it. Uh, there's a man who gets up and goes to work every day, and before long he wonders, why am I doing this? Why, why am I going through this drudgery? You know, the life's getting sucked out of him, and, and, and all of this work he's doing, he's starting to think, all I'm doing is making another man rich and famous. Why do I want to do this? And before long, it's not good enough. And no matter how much money he makes, he starts to wonder, hey, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? I mean, y- y'all know. Another man gets up. He starts having those same things, but then his wife has triplets. And all of a sudden, he's starting to go to work to put food on the table for his babies. It's amazing how motivation can change whenever you have a deep affection. That's why we should have a deep affection for the cross because we will be faithful in our service. Now, even those of us who love the cross can struggle at times serving the Lord. Guys, I told you about Kent this week. Um, That's a hard thing when you're a minister. You pray for your ministers. You know, I know they only work two days a week, and we understand that, you know. If that, you know, I get that, you know. But, but pray for them, because when you get that call and you've got to choose, do I minister to this family that's hurting, or do I spend time with my family who I don't see on Thanksgiving? That's a hard deal. Right? It's not, it is a tough job when you're 24-7 on call. It's a hard, hard job. So pray for him, and I know that was a hard time for his family, but they sacrificed and made it work. Uh, but I, I used to, my new job is different. I have to say there are a lot of things that I miss about pastoring, a lot of them, but one I don't are phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. I used to get those just like every other minister, and one night I was laying in bed, and that phone rings, and you know, you, you <laughs> hello. You know, and you're trying to be paid. And I had a man on the other line. We'll call him Don. Don was a member of my last church. Don was in the early stages of some Alzheimer's, but it was real early. And he calls me and he said, Pastor, I need you. I need you now. I got a mess. Can you please come over? And I said, Now? Yeah. Yeah. Please come over now. Well, all right, I'll be there. He only lived about 10 minutes away, and so I got ready. I'm flying across town at 2 o'clock in the morning. I get over to Don um, and, and Lorraine's house, and when I get there, I knock on the door. Don comes to the door, and he says, Pastor, I'm so grateful you came, and he hugged my neck, and he was crying, and we go in, and we sit down on the sofa, and I said, well, Don, tell me what's going on, and he says, Brother Nick, I couldn't sleep. And I said, okay. How come? He said, I don't know. About it. It's all night long. I've been trying to sleep, and I couldn't. And all I could think of was to call you and have you come pray for me. Now, I'm feeling my blood pressure go up. And I'm fighting mad. I'll, I'll be honest. I am. I'm sitting here thinking, you called me over because you couldn't sleep. You got me out of bed, woke up my wife, woke up me because you couldn't sleep. But the Lord was gracious. And kind, and I sat there and I talked to the man, and I was there for probably, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes, and we talked. I went home, and y'all know that feeling when you're up just too long and you hadn't had sleep, that groggy, I can't make it, where am I going to? But I finally go home, I lay in bed from about 3.35, 3.40 until about 5, and I think I fell asleep around 5. At 5.40, my phone rings, and it's Don. <laughs> Hello? 
Pastor, you have to know, as soon as you left, I laid down and I slept for two hours. <laughs> Thank you. And I thought, you called me to tell me you got two hours sleep. <laughs> Sometimes you get tired of running the race. I was there that day. <laughs> you ever, yeah, I was past there that day. But I tell you, sir, when you keep your eyes on the cross and you think about what he endured, it's amazing how it changed. See, my eyes were on Don, and I was frustrated. But when you put your eyes on the Lord, it's amazing how much your patience can increase. Run the race with endurance that's set before us. God requires you to be faithful to the end. And the best way to do this is to wake up every morning and remind yourself, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. In those hard and tired and give up mornings, when it's not the rejoice in the Lord days, it's I don't know how I'm going to make it days. On those days, if you will put your focus on what Jesus did for you, if he can give his life for me, if he can go to the cross and he can suffer, if he can endure such hostility, by his grace, I can be faithful to him. Cross-eyed Christians make it till the end. You see, if we're cross-eyed, that's what will happen. We'll be faithful unto death. Verse 3, he says, consider him. Verse 2, remember, keep your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross for us. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You want to hang in there? Keep your eyes on what he did for you. Hum every day a tune that reflects the cross of Christ. What disturbs me, in 25 years of ministry, I've seen so many people who've not been faithful. I'll be honest, guys, that disturbs me. When a person says, the blood of Jesus has made me clean. And they check out on Jesus when times get hard or times get easy. It, it pains me. I see young people baptized who say, I want to follow him. And, and I'll tell them, that when I talk to young people after they've been saved, you know you're committing your life to Jesus. This is not, you, you sure you want to do this right now? You are committing your life to Jesus. Are you sure you want to do that? Yes, I, I, I know him. I want to follow him. And then they become a young married and ball games roll around. Or they become a youth and they go off to college. It's alarming the rate of teenagers who leave the church. Or they become men who once read the Bible daily and now seldom do. Or women whose love has grown cold. It disturbs me. And it disturbs a lot of people within Christianity. People have written articles and books. They've uh, created whole conferences. What can we do to fix this? And invariably, here's how the conference goes. Man, if we just had better technology, the kids today would hang in there. You know, if we just had more dynamic speakers who could grab our attention every Sunday, then I would be faithful. Or if we just had a nicer facility, you know, this is kind of looks like an old facility. If we just had something newer and more up-to-date. Or, please don't mishear me. I want to do whatever. I do for the Lord excellently. I want to have the most dynamic technology. I want to tell the funniest stories. I want to have the clean and nicest, engaging facilities. But at the end of the day, it's the message, not methods, that change people forever. Methods engage the mind. 
the message engages the heart, and that's where real change happens. I want to make sure people clearly hear the message. That man in his sin rejects God. My, my family asked me this weekend, I need to wrap up real quickly here. But my family this weekend asked me, they said, do you think people are basically good or bad? Guys, I think we're sinful and flawed. We were made in God's image, but we're sinful and we can't fix it. We're like someone playing in a mud pit trying to clean themselves off with more mud. We just can't fix it. We are tainted by it forever. And in our sin, we reject God and we reject the law that he has written on our hearts. And we deserve to be punished because we're lawbreakers. And any of you who say, I'm not a lawbreaker, come talk to me. I'd love to hear your story because I've never met someone who's not a lawbreaker. We're selfish inside. We're greedy. We want for us first. We, we don't care what God says. We want to be in control of our future. We want our way. It's all about us. If you're not that person, I want to meet you because I've never met someone who's not a lawbreaker. And I'm the worst of the lawbreakers. I'm not trying to talk to you as somebody who's better than you. I'm worse than you. I, I stand up in front of you knowing that there's a better way, and yet I still struggle. I'm not there. But I don't think you are either. None of us are. We're all lawbreakers. We deserve death. But Jesus, in his love, decided instead of sending down lightning bolts, which he could have done, destroying earth, which he could have done, he said, I'll go to the cross to die on their behalf. My blood for their blood. My death for their life. He was crucified for us. For us. For me. So I encourage you to focus your eyes on the one who's dying for you. The one who's paying the price for you. The one who allowed the whips to beat his back. Who could have stopped them in midair. Who allowed the nails to be hammered into his hands. He endured such hostility for you. Are you really going to check out on him? Are you really going to say, ah, you know, I don't know if it's worth it, me getting up and going and telling everybody I love Jesus? Are you really going to say to him if he asks you to follow him when it's more convenient? Somebody told me last week, and I'll close with this. Didn't tell me, they told one of the staff members. Man, I'm just really having trouble finding the motivation to be faithful. Guess what else do we need? Do you really need a funny sermon? Do you really need snappy music? Do you really need a program for this or something for that? Churches struggle in America not because we don't have the newest and the best. Churches struggle in America because we've lost our focus. I'm here today for one reason. I'm here today because I'm a sinner who was loved by God and made clean because of what Christ did on the cross. And that's enough. That's enough for me to give him my all and praise him. Let's pray. God, I pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that your cross would be our affection. 
Lord, I never, ever want to wake up and wonder, do you love me or not, God? You have proven your love to me. Lord, if my health fails and my family is gone and my bank account is empty and everything in life is turned upside down, God, I pray that you would help me to recognize, Lord, you have loved me. You have loved me with the love that said, even to death. Dear Jesus, I know you died on the cross because of me. And I know I'm not deserving of your grace. 